All right, let's see. We are, we are going, I, I have a terrible theme that I realized when I was looking at my, uh, my layout for Christmas, because we had Jeremiah and John, and next week we have Jude. Apparently, I had to do all the J books for Christmas this year. I don't know why, but we're, it's just what we're doing. Um, we are at Advent week two, which is the Sunday of love. Exciting and new. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes the obvious thing that you think of is the place you should just deal with. Because let's, let's be honest. If I told you Bible verse about God and love, go. I mean... And we always, we always try to be uh, too clever by half and smarter than we think in church. Be like, well, we can't go to the obvious Bible verse. You know what? Let's go to the obvious Bible verse. Let's, let's take the old football sign, because remember when I was a kid, everybody at the football game had to have that sign. There had to be a John 3.16 sign at every football game. Let's take that and actually apply it to Christmas, because it matters. How do we get from what is the universal evangelism and love verse to Christmas? And the answer is... What is the work of Christ centered upon? And see, this is where understanding our definitions and getting right the work of Christ is so important. The incarnation matters not simply because God has come down, but because God has come down for a reason, for work. There are things to do. And this little section lays that out perfectly. Now, before we dive in, though, John 3, what do we need to talk about? Can we just like dive into John 3.16 and following? No, we need to kind of know where we are. So John 1, John literally begins at the beginning, setting up the deity of Christ, who he is, why he has come into the world. At the beginning of his public ministry, the affirmation of John the Baptist of who Christ is and why that matters. You get to chapter 2, you see the beginning work of Christ, the cleansing of the temple. Yes, from a historical perspective, we have two temple cleansings, one at the beginning of his earthly ministry in John 2, one at the end of his earthly ministry with the triumphal entry and that whole bit. So, we have the cleansing of the temple, Jesus' announcement of his public ministry, and we have his first public miracle, the turning of the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. So with that, we then get a lovely meeting in John 3 with Nicodemus. Now, Jesus lays out who he is, what he's going to do, why that matters. That's John 3, 1 through 15. Nicodemus is gone, and I'm going to say something. Who, who in here has a red-letter Bible? All right. I'm going to argue with your red-letter Bible. Nicodemus is dismissed, and this is John speaking. I know most red-letter Bibles have John 3.16 and following in red letters, but it doesn't make any sense to attach this. Do you have one that doesn't? Hey, you have one of the good ones. No. Most red-letter Bibles will have this as Jesus speaking, and I don't think that's accurate because this is the addendum from John. This is John taking everything that Jesus and Nicodemus have just talked about and then John explaining it to the reader, which is really helpful because that's us. And I like when the author explains things to the reader because it reminds me that he actually cares what I know, which is the exact purpose for why this is written. So, shall we dive in? Have some fun? All right, let's go. <laughs> for God so loved the world. All right, time out. All right, Cameron, can you do something for me real quick? I thought I did this. I thought I cleared the background on that. Can you do that? Because I messed you guys up all last week. Nobody can read that. I can barely read it with the candle. So, while Cameron does that, for God so loved the world, we are stopping already. God loves what he has made. Never forget that. Why does God love what he has made? Because, with, this is usual, God is, 
God is love. That's the one everybody knows. If you ask people to describe who God is, they will start with love. Always remember this. This is where we get messed up. We can't describe God in terms that we understand. We have to describe God in terms that he declares himself in, and that includes directions and pieces. So in other words, God is not described as loving because he does loving things. God is described as love because love is not something he does. It is something that he is. No, it's something that he is. And we don't process this because that's not how humanity is described. We are described typically by what we do. I mean, unless you have an unusual attribute, unless you're like me, you know, you're short. Or if you're Matt back there running around, he's tall. Those, you know, those are fixed attributes. But short of that, most of the time we describe people by what they do. Well, he's funny, he's clever, he's, you know, he's athletic. You know, we, we describe by attributes and what we see. We do the same thing with God because God demonstrates who he is by what he does. But recognize, I'm not clever because I possess cleverness. I'm clever because I do clever things. Or I'm funny because I tell funny stories. God is not love because he does loving things. God does loving things because he himself is the source and the beginning of love itself. Without God, there would be no basis to define what love actually is. Always remember that when we're dealing with the attributes of God. Hey, nope. <laughs> What'd you do? Well, c Command Z will undo whatever you did. Command Z, I think it should, we hope. <laughs> there it is. Right click. Um, Add, and then there should be a, um, an add queue, and you want clear all. Well, then just click on the slide again once you do that. It'll put a little X over it. <laughs> so, God is not defined by love. God defines what love is. First uh, John 4, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And that perfection of love, that beginning of love, is what makes God God, Psalm 86. O oh God, arrogant men have risen up against me. A band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In other words, who God is is manifested in what God does. Who he is determines what he does. Hebrews chapter 2. <laughs> I'm watching the screen. This is going to mess me up the rest of the day. We do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them Brethren, <laughs> just leave it. We're, we're aborting. It's okay. Just leave it alone. Abort mission. <laughs> Is that an option still? Okay, there we go. 
So, because God loves his creation because of who God is, he will work on behalf of his creation. And in this case, what is that creation's greatest need? To do what? See, what's their big evil? Sin. My greatest need is not to be taller, to be smarter, to know more. My greatest problem is my sin. The work of Christ is the work to overcome that. Romans 5. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though for perhaps the good man someone may dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the work of God is spurred on by the nature and character of God. How is that brought to humanity? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, the work that God has done, based on the character and nature of God, actually means something to the objects of his love. God does things for reasons, believe it or not. Who would have thunk that, right? That God actually has a reason for his work and a reason in things that he is accomplishing. 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. You can go back to what we read for communion with John 1. That the light coming into the world enlightens all men, doing what? As many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, that's your summary. Is that the end of it, though? No, there's always something to understand. There's always a build-out. This is why I say this, is, this should not be red letter in your Bible. This is John building out the nature, work, and effect of that work that Christ has done on behalf of his people. So, verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Isn't that the whole mission? Isn't that the whole point? Isn't that why you're still drawing breath? To proclaim the excellencies of him who saved and to grow in your sanctification and faith. Luke 19. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We mentioned last week, I mentioned earlier, in 1 Timothy 1. It's a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. Always remember, good, God does not save good people. Why not? They would need it. If you were good, what would Christ's work accomplish for you? The answer is nothing. This is how I know you're no good, by the way. Because Jesus came. See, if you were good, there would have been one. No, we laugh, but think about this. Understand humanity. If you were good, you would be the one who was good, which would mean what about the rest of us? We had a chance. We could have been like that. We just did X or Y or Z. You didn't, therefore you're good. Therefore, there's no need for Christ because we were capable in and of ourselves. So what Paul, this is part of what Paul's talking about in Romans 5. While we were still helpless what we could not accomplish Christ doing on our behalf. But because Christ has come, you had no chance, which means you're a bad person. Congratulations. Accept it. Just come to terms with it. The sooner you accept it and realize it, the better off you will be. You know why? 
So the sooner you understand that you are a bad person, the sooner you will be honest with yourself about your sin, the sooner you are honest with yourself about your sin, the sooner you will cling to the cross and cry out to God in repentance and faith so that he can save you. Who lies to you the most? You do. The first step in that is to stop doing that, admit that Christ's incarnation, Christmas itself is a reminder that I can't that I am broken and busted, and that I need the grace and mercy of God. Now then, I enter into his kingdom by his mercy, by his love, and by his work. How do I now grow and walk and work in this kingdom? By recognizing that I'm broken and bruised and busted, and I can't do this, which is why I'm given the down payment on my salvation, the Holy Spirit, to guide, to steer, to secure, to give me a good kick in the butt when I'm going in the wrong direction, and to encourage when I'm going in the right direction, so that what I am and who I am will be changed and molded, not by me, but by God, so that I will be his new creation, not what I desire to be, but what he desires in me. This work is where the love of God leads. Luke 1, this was Mary's uh, cry. He has regard for the humble state of his servant. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Why? Because salvation is coming through the son. Salvation is coming through the baby that she carries. She will be blessed because God is blessing. The fulfillment of the promises, the fulfillment of all that God has done. Psalm 113. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Now, let's understand a couple of things real quick. We won't labor here long, but it's important that we understand this. Because if they haven't started already, I'm telling you, the National Geographic Channel and the History Channel are like 35 seconds away from all the discrepancies in your Bible and the reasons why you shouldn't pay any attention. And this is one of the ones they'll grab. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. See, that just proves the Bible has no idea what it's talking about, because don't we have all those judgment things of the Son talked about in the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation? See, that just proves the Bible didn't know what it was doing, the authors were messing themselves up, and the Bible doesn't exist and we can live however we want. Isn't that the punchline of all of those specials at Christmas and Easter? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Always remember that the same author who writes that the Son does not come into the world to judge the world is the same author that writes the verses about Jesus coming as conqueror. Same guy. (laughs) Did he turn stupid between chapter 3 of John and chapter 20 of Revelation? No. I mean, is it possible he had a massive stroke and didn't know what he was doing? Sure, anything's possible, but is it likely? No, so we're going to go with that. So how do we mesh these two ideas? Well, easy. Does God judge sin? Yes. Should God judge sin? Yes. How much of sin should God judge? All of it, including whose sin? Mine, yours, and everybody else's. This is why we are saved by grace through faith. (laughs) I heard that. (laughs) He just couldn't help himself. He said Clark's. He just couldn't help himself. (laughs) He had to get his dig in while he had the chance. At least he's picking on you and not Vern for once. (laughs) Vern's like, I didn't do anything, so I'm good. (laughs) So this is why we talk about salvation by grace through faith. What did you deserve? 
besides a smack in the back of the head and a kick to hell. And I mean literally, a kick into the pits of hell. That you, that's what you deserved. You did not receive that because God loves his creation and God is at work amongst his creation to redeem his people. This is good news for you and good news for the world, Christian, because it means that God has been working and God is working and God will be working, which means we do what? We know that judgment is coming, but we rejoice that salvation is provided in the Son, that the birth, the things that we celebrate, are pointing to the salvific work that Christ has accomplished. Not that he has made hopeful, not that he has made potential, but the salvation that he has accomplished. It is finished in Christ. He is victorious over sin. He has conquered death. The enemies are defeated. And he will one day come bringing judgment and put all under his feet. And until that day, we do what? We proclaim his mercies, his excellencies, and his greatness until that day comes, knowing that we wish, like God, that all would come to repentance. So we trust, and we walk, and we proclaim, knowing that he is good, and that if he can save me, he can save you too. So, verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged, because they are safe in him. Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Notice that language Paul is using in Romans. Is there any if in that? I mean, is, is there any if in any of that language? No, that's an accomplishment. He has condemned sin. He has put it to death. He has overcome. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He who believes in him is not judged. Never forget that reality. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, this connects us back to our beginning problem. What's humanity's big problem? How is that sin most obviously manifested? This is an easy one that we overthink. You ready? How is sin most obviously and easily manifested? Not believing who? Not believing God. What's the most obvious way we don't believe God? He who, has not, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, the most obvious manifestation of sin is who do I think is God most of the time? Who do I think can save me and accomplish and bring me wisdom and all these things? This is the problem. I think that I am the answer, even if you haven't even asked the question. This is what sin does. It rejects God in all of his forms. Because here's, here's what happens. This is, was it Spurgeon talking about this? It goes back, show you how long problems go back in humanity. I always like doing this with history. Um, Charles Spurgeon, what, mid-19th century in London? You have to get men lost before you can get them saved. Because <laughs> what's the problem? Well, there's Christ, and he will redeem people from sin. Well, well, time out, chief. What's a sin? And we're in 2021. I mean, did you ever think we'd be defining the things we have to define today? I mean, you laugh, but I mean, a perfect case in point, um, 
Daryl and Ginger are having a get-together with family after they're borrowing the gym today because one of their nephews is, um, is expanding the family. They're having a gender reveal party. Now, before 2021, you knew exactly what that was. My answer, when Ginger told me that, I made the joke. For who? Which member? Because don't you, for a split second, don't you wonder? We're having a gender reveal party. For who? I'm scared. Do what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> poor Vern. When she said we're having a gender a gender reveal, he goes a gender rebuild. What is is that a new ministry thing we do? <laughs> but is that not the world we live in? What's up? What's down? What's man? What's woman? What's right? What's wrong? These things are all up for debate. Why? Because we've removed any concept of a foundation, which means we've made who God us, and we are a capricious God, are we not? What's right and wrong depends on how I feel. What benefits me versus what benefits you. I mean, this is my, my, my joke for my seminary friend. What's the ideal world for most of humanity? That everyone is just like me, but slightly dumber. That way everybody likes what I like, hates what I hate, so I never have to deal with the stuff I don't like and the stuff I hate, but I'm in charge because everybody looks to me as the smart, intelligent one. And that just, doesn't that just sound wonderful? <laughs> if you're honest with yourself, for a, for a minute it does. Imagine never having to flip through the radio because they played a song you hate. Because everybody else hates it too. Nobody brings the green bean casserole because we all know it's evil. Don't start with me. (laughs) It's okay. You can like green bean casserole and be wrong. It's not sinful. (laughs) And probably am. And that's why I don't worry about it. But this is the problem. This is the reality. This is how sin manifests and what it does day in and day out. The cure for this has not changed. He who believes in him is not judged. John 14, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Second John, he reiterates this. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he is both the Father and the Son. The reason why I went to John 14 and 2 John, same author, same idea. He's building out on these ideas. How many ways are there to climb to heaven? The answer, it's a trick question because there's none. You don't climb anywhere. You're carried along by the mercy and grace of God through the work in Christ. There is one point of access in that. What are God's terms? Always remember this because I caught you with the trick question. That's why I mean like that. What are God's terms? We haven't covered this in a really long time. You get one word answer. Surrender. Lay down your arms. Lay down your desires. Lay down everything that you think defines you in this world and surrender them. Take up your cross and follow after him and him alone. Those are the terms. You don't get to negotiate. You don't get to, you know, haggle this out like you're in some weird Middle Eastern market. You have to surrender. Those are the terms. So how many ways are there to climb to heaven? Zero. How many access points are there? One. And it's through Christ by repentance and faith. Exactly right. And just in case, you know, just in case you think that we're over overemphasizing John a little bit, let's ask Peter what he thinks. Acts 4. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which they must be saved. Paul in 1 Timothy. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
That's why his work is necessary. That's why his birth is necessary. See, here's, here's the, this is the silly stuff that is obvious, but we don't always talk about it out loud. Can Jesus die if he's not born? <laughs> I mean, it sounds silly to contemplate this, but this is what the incarnation is about. It's a demonstration of God's character and nature revealed in his work. How do I know that God takes seriously sin? other than all the judgment stuff we see in the Old Testament. That he gave his only begotten son. That he gives of himself. That, always realize this. This is why we always point out the Christophanies in the Old Testament, that God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Well, God is spirit who dwells in unapproachable light. Does spirit dwelling in unapproachable light walk in a garden? No. So who is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. When I talk about God as a man, who am I talking about? This is a, called a Christophany in the Old Testament, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Who is walking in the, cool of the gar, in, the, in the garden in the cool of the day? Christ is. Who sacrifices the animal to make coverings for Adam and Eve? That's Christ. Who's standing before Abraham while the angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah talking on behalf of God? That's Christ. Who's leading the Israelites, the angel of the Lord, walking with the power, authority, and command of God, leading the Israelites in the Exodus? That's Christ. This matters. The angel of the Lord on behalf of Hezekiah that comes down to Jerusalem and kills 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Angel of the Lord is Christ. This is who he is. This is what he does. This is what the incarnation is about. He is there. How seriously does God take sin? That he enters in, takes on flesh, so that he may offer a perfect sacrifice. Because here's the fun part. Where else are you finding a perfect sacrifice laying around? <laughs> I mean, think through, think through the sham that was the temple in Jesus' day. I mean, you have all the regulations that you have in Leviticus and the commands of Exodus on the unblemished Passover lamb, right? It's got to be the year-old lamb, perfect, no spot, wrinkle, defect, none of that. Something looks like it came right out of a snuggle commercial for fabric softener. It's like, aww. And you would do this. You would pick it out. You would travel to Jerusalem, and they would look at it and inspect it for you because aren't they wonderful people? They, they were so nice, they would inspect your lamb to make sure it was perfect. And then once they found out that it wasn't perfect, because that's how the scam runs, <laughs> they would have a perfect one out back for you to buy. <laughs> Just what are the odds? You know, it's a lovely little lamb. Only one owner, a little old lady, walked it back and forth to church every Sunday, you know. <laughs> Sounds like a used car salesman, because they basically were used car salesmen, but they were used lamb salesmen. That just sounds weird. <laughs> We should open up a stand. That, 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 there's, that's a Christmas parody video begging to be made, isn't it? Only it was an actual thing. That's what humanity does, is it takes the symbol of the sacrifice that is to be Christ, and it corrupts it, and it muddies it, and it dirties it, and claims it as something good. And yet, Christ intervenes. And yet, God is born. And yet, he endures, and yet he serves, and yet he is faithful, and yet he still offers of himself. This is the lesson that is given. So, verse 19. This is the judgment. 
John's going to harken back to chapter 1 here. That the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. If you want proof of that, look around. I mean, isn't that everything we've talked about thus far? Isn't that everything we've been going over? And if you'd like some homework, because my Sunday school class has a little bit of homework. I think it's Lamentations if you want to have some fun and be depressed. And those two things can go together sometimes. So uh, if you want to add to that, go read Romans 1. Because people always tell me that they want to live in a world that's, you know, that's biblical. And I tell them, you do! It just so happens that the biblical description of your world is Romans 1 and Judges. And, and, and don't nobody want to live in Romans 1 and Judges. And yet, here we are. Always remember the punchline of Judges. There was no king in Israel in those days, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Don't tell me how to live. How dare you judge me? Who do you think you are? Well, have you considered how they feel? No, no, I haven't. Because I don't care. Because truth doesn't care if you feel offended. Truth cares about what is good and right and holy. Now, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and men love their darkness rather than their light, for their deeds were evil. Which, by the way, Charlie Brown is what Christmas is all about. I should have had Connor, because Connor about has this memorized, because he's watched that so many times. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which, will shall, which shall be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. How do you get God pleased with you? I mean, wouldn't that be a lovely checklist to have in your back pocket? I want God to be happy with me today. How many access points are there? How do you get there? See, God's not happy with you outside of Christ. God is thrilled with you in Christ. You know why? Because he's pleased with Christ. And this is my identification. I don't ascend up to heaven and go, hey, I should get in because I'm with him. Check the list. I'm on the list. I'm with that guy. See, yeah, the, the one over there glowing and shining with the sword thing. Yeah, I'm with him. Let me in. Instead, we are brought before the gate, and Christ goes, that one's mine. I've cleansed him. I've redeemed him. I've died for him. He's mine. And I go, thank you, 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 thank you. I don't demand because my terms are met in God. And what are his terms? Surrender. This is why Jesus presents himself the way that he does. Mark is always, Mark is your compact gospel. All right. Luke is the gospel written for Gentiles. That's most of us. Um, John is the one written to prove stuff to you. If you want your Reader's Digest version of the gospel, read Mark. That's what Mark does because it's, the, uh, it's John Mark recording the sermons of Peter as he's teaching, which is kind of a fun way to do it because Peter's doing what when he's preaching? I mean, think about preaching out in the middle of nowhere or teaching people no notes and stuff. How many deep details do you get into? Now, you hit the highlights, and that's what Peter's doing in his teaching, and Mark's over there writing it down, and that's the gospel. Guess what the first thing he starts with? 
After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news, Charlie Brown? There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How do you avoid the judgment? He who believes in him is not judged. What message has the power to change hearts and minds? Christ's. What message has the power to bring men to God? Repentance and faith, the message of Christ. What changes out the heart, renews the mind, cleanses the soul, restores the spirit, and sets a new creation on a new path? It is Christ and his message. And what's the access point? Repent and believe and walk faithfully. And again, Christian, how do I walk faithfully? By continuing to realize that I repent and believe. This is why I said, honest conversation in the mirror, admit that you're a bad person, come to terms with it, and re- because then what can you do? See, if, you, if you continue to lie and say, no, 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 I may do some bad things on occasion, but I'm really a good person. Well, you know what happens on that random Tuesday, you know, when, when life comes and smacks you like a shovel? You lie about how you reacted. You lie about what occurred because you think I'm good and I just had a bad moment. But when you recognize that, no, what flew out of me is because of what is in me. Well, now I recognize that, okay, no, I am not good. And for this too, Christ died. And I don't, and I don't ever mean to say that flippantly. It's not, like, it's not like we sit there and go, well, Jesus died for my sins, so I'm okay and I just keep on going. But no, 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 I hate it. I want to kill it. Remember our joke? Yes, kill it with fire. One of these days I'll have to tell you that whole story, but my Sunday school class gets it. It's okay. I mean, when you find your sin, you should look at it and go, ooh, we get to blow that up. I mean, you, you need to be rednecks with Tannerite. You guys know what Tannerite is? Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you don't know what Tannerite is, you can actually buy it at a sporting goods store, which just boggles my brain. But you buy this mound of stuff, and then you attach it to stuff, and if you shoot it with something of a decent-sized caliber, it explodes. That's how they do that for movies. You know, like they stick the Tannerite on the door and then they shoot it and boom. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like overgrown gunpowder. Yeah. I, I, I joke about rednecks with Tannerite because that's some of my wife's family. I mean, you give them like five pounds of Tannerite and something's going airborne. I'm not even kidding. Which is why, they're, which is why I think her brothers are not allowed to buy it. <laughs> there, there's a ban from her mother. Like, no, you are not bringing that into the house. No, there are rules. That's how we should be with our sin, though. Rednecks with Tannerite. Put all the dynamite underneath it, and here we go. And watch that puppy fly, and then it's gone, and I ain't got to deal with you no more. Because I'm clean. Because I'm new. And I hate that thing. That's why we blew it up. I mean, do you blow up stuff you like? Do you look out and go, I love this car. It's the best car I've ever had. Who's got dynamite? No! You go buy some weird jalopy thing, be like, all right, let's blow this thing up. That's your sin, Christian. That's the war. That's the fight. Why? Because I recognize I'm not a good person. And that's who I am. And who I am has got to change because that's what the work of the Holy Spirit is about. That's what Christ has died for, is to change me and you and all of his people. Therefore, when I find the things that need to be changed and warred against, I do what? I go to war. How many times? All the times. For everyone, verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. They should think like that. You know why? They're right. They will. Luke 8. Nothing is hidden 
that will not become evident. Nothing secret will not be known and come to light. This is one of the reasons why I talk about churches should be the most honest and open places on, the world, in, on earth. Because what's our starting point? You're a bad person. I'm a bad person. Therefore, when we do bad people things, we should be able to say, I messed up. Here's the dumb thing that I did. Yes, I know what the rule is. What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. But I did the dumb thing, and I messed up, and I want to fix it, and I need your help. How many times has that conversation happened in church? Be honest. It should happen a lot, but what usually happens? I don't want anybody to see the dumb thing that I did because it was dumb and I feel like an idiot, so let's just hide it over here. What happens when we start hiding it over here? Mm-hmm. And the precious. Yes. Next thing you know, um, it's, look, I got, I got pictures. It's, it's like a St. Bernard puppy. <laughs> I have pictures of my, what, then seven-year-old daughter holding, you know, the 12-pound puppy. You know, and she's, you know, and he's just cute little sweet little thing, and he's all laid out, flattened himself. And now I have pictures of my children riding him like a pony. <laughs> That's what happens to your sin, though, when you hide it. You think it's just this little tiny thing that's not going to get any bigger, and next thing you know, you're... Yeah, we got this. Pay no attention to the man behind the mirror. There's nothing, nothing to see here. I mean, if, you never see, if you've ever seen Naked Gun, it's, it's Leslie Nielsen and the Naked Gun, and all the fireworks plant has exploded behind him, and he's standing going, there's nothing to see here, folks. Move along, move along, while the fireworks plant is exploding behind him. Move along, move along. There's nothing to see here. No, the show's over. Move along. That's what we look like when we just try to coddle it. We can't. Everything will be exposed, and not just everything will be exposed, in God's sight, everything is already exposed. Who are you hiding from? Me? I mean, think about this. You're going to hide it from me? Who am I? What am I going to do? Oh, you're a bad person. We already know that. God's already looked down. What are you hiding from? You've already lost that game of hide-and-go-seek. I'm going to think less of you. Trust me, I already do, okay? There you go, problem solved. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. Because we're supposed to be walking in godliness, not walking in sin. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. And this is true from the very beginning. Proverbs 15 makes this. Hebrews 4 talks about this with Scripture. What has the power to separate bone from marrow, you know, soul and spirit? The Word of God. It's the same. This is one of the other reasons why this becomes so important. If we're unwilling to come to the light, it's because we're trying to hide in the darkness. We don't want the healing. Oh, that Christian, should that ever be a phrase we should say? No, I don't want forgiveness and grace and mercy to cover this. Why would I ever want to do that? Because the alternative is, is really not that awesome here. Let's, let's, let's avoid the alternative and, and, and actually come to grips with things, which is why the next verse goes with it. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. This is the difference between you and the non-believer Christian. Are they bad people? Them, those that are out there. Are they bad people? Yes! Because who's a bad person? 
Everyone. They're bad people. Are we bad people? Yes. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's 1 John 1, 8. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that it? He who practices the truth comes to the light. See, when bad people come to the light, what happens? What does everybody see? Does everyone see wonderful deeds and good people when bad people come to the light? No. But we see cleansing. We see mercy. We see grace. We see forgiveness. And we see the power of the gospel to change hearts and minds and to set people on new paths so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Isn't this why you like hearing testimonies of people who are really, really bad? One, it makes you feel better because you weren't that bad. <laughs> and let's be honest, that's a, that's a little bit of it. But two, because it reminds you of what? Oh my goodness, look at what God did. Look at what he accomplished. Look where you were and look where you are and look what's happened in the... <gasps> that's so good. God is so awesome. That's the work that he's doing. That's the work that he's been doing. That's the work that he continues to do. That's why we remind each other that we're not good, but in him I'm clean. We're not great, but in him I am perfect. In him I am cleansed. In him I am righteous. And in him I am able to walk and work faithfully by his power, by his grace, for his kingdom, for his glory. Ephesians 2 is a great punchline. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God is pleased with Christ. In Christ, he is pleased in us because he has changed who we are and what we are and brought it into alignment with him. And it doesn't always feel like it, but it's the reality that Christ has accomplished. Always remember that. Christ has saved you. Yes, you are still being saved, but that reality is not going away. It is finished. You may not experience it finished yet, but it is as good as done, which means as we persevere, we persevere in Christ, because we're not persevering for something new, but persevering for what God has already done. Titus chapter 3. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's where we stand. Recipients of the promise. What has God promised that he has not delivered? What power in creation can stop God from accomplishing what he has planned? Which means if you're standing as an heir of his promise, you're standing as an heir of a guarantee. This is why understanding who God is and how his nature moves him matters because it places you in the right mindset to understand that his work declares that I am not good, but his work ensures that I am good because it brings me to a day of completion. It brings me to a state of righteousness and it brings me to a perfection by which I stand in the presence of God gloriously 
Not because I'm with him, but because he has looked upon me and said, that one is mine. Bring him in. That is the work that he has accomplished. That is where we stand, Christian. And that is not based on you. That is based on him. Who he is leading to what he does, what he does having effect on the people that are his. And that people is an ever-growing, ever-expanding people because God's kingdom has no boundary. Because where does God not reach? (laughs) Every tribe, every tongue, every nation proclaiming his mercies because he has redeemed people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And if he can do it for us, He can do it for them. And if he can do it for them, he can do it for anybody. Which means we do what? We walk. Trusting in our power? No. Trusting in his power. Trusting in our wisdom? No. Proclaiming, as Paul told the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Because in Christ is the change of heart, which leads to the change of mind, which leads to the change of action. It is nowhere else. As you celebrate, as you go, remember what we celebrate. We celebrate a crucified and risen Savior who is redeemed and redeeming people so that we celebrate God rightly for who he is and what he has done. Let's pray.